0: So, I'm speaking by default, I guess, today, since your guy has jet lag. Um, no, but thank you so much for the honor of being able to be here uh, this morning. Um, I've always heard so much about this, me and Marcus, best friends in college. And um, he was in my wedding and all that good stuff. And I don't know if you guys know this, but your, uh, your ministers are amazing. They're some of the most humble ministers I've ever seen in ministry ever, and, and I hope you guys know that. Can you applaud them right now? That's a, that's a rare thing. I don't know if you guys know that, uh, to have such humble ministers. Um, so kind of maybe get started off by just like a little group activity. Um, can you guys help me out? Yeah? Okay, you ready? Um, if all at the same time, if everybody can just go ahead and lower your standards for a minute... <laughs> For maybe like the rest of the time. I would greatly appreciate that. Um, I'm a worship pastor. That's what I've always been. That's what I've always done. God has now called me to a different role of leading church plants and and planning new expressions of how we do church and stuff like that. And so um, I have every fear, doubt, and insecurity humanly possible. Um, I just don't want to find out what an inland whale looks like, as in Jonah's case, of running away from God's will. So we are running straight with God and and what we uh, know that he's calling us to uh, here here in Cleveland, for sure, and then abroad. Um, so a little background. Yeah, I went to school with Fife. Uh, I call him Fife. I forget his first name a lot of times. And uh, they are incredible, incredible people, and uh, some of our dearest friends, even still to this day. We've been chatting ever since we graduated college. Um, my ministry background is, like I said, I have been doing worship for a long time, um, Maybe a decade-ish. That's a long time to me. Um, so uh, that's, that's been awesome. That's been fun. My heart and my passion always has to do with music and, and worship, too, as well, and how we incorporate that, that it's not just defined by songs, but a life that we have and that we share. And so I just came here. We just moved here not this past Tuesday, but the Tuesday before. Um, we are currently living in Parma Heights at a parsonage of a gracious church that is letting us stay there. And uh, for very low cost, thank God. And, um, and so we uh, previously, for a year and a half, were in St. Louis, my hometown. And in St. Louis is my home church, Harvester Christian Church, a church around 3,500. And uh, it was a crazy roller coaster for us. We, uh, I was the interim worship minister there for a while because they had a new head guy and tra- staff transition happened. And so I was leading worship for all of their 80 billion services on the weekend. And then in my spare time, I was also called the resident minister. And we make up stuff all the time in church. And so this was a fun one that we made up. And the whole point of this was for me to go ahead and uh, learn from the head guy what it means to lead churches and to do all that type of stuff. So I did that for a year and a half. So in all my spare time, um, I preached, I taught, you know, did everything imaginable that you could possibly do on on weekends. Um, And then also during the week, teaching other things too as well. Um, So what we were doing, kind of what um, Alex touched on, is that we we are trying something different, and um, I don't have it all spelled out for sure yet, which sounds awesome, doesn't it? We're doing something. We're not quite sure what we're doing, but we're doing it. Um, But we're calling it Porch Culture. I don't want to PR, you know, take this time to PR it. Uh, But if you go to porchculture.org and check it out, and (laughs) maybe look at some stuff, and you know, it's pretty much the best. Um, But anyways, uh, so Porch Culture is what we're calling it. And what it was, is I was sitting in my office, a few years ago, and I was realizing that 99 to 100% of my interactions were just with Christians, and that over 98% of the new people coming into our church were Christians as well. And in light of thinking about kids, and my kids, and what is going to happen in a few generations, are they going to have a place to go to? Not just a place, but will the church still exist from all, all these stats that we're hearing and seeing, and I'll get to stats in a minute, but... Um, I was just really convicted at the core, like, God, is this what you've really called me to be part of? I feel like we're just stockpiling Christians. And is that the point? And so these are, these are the convictions that then burst out of uh, what we did, is we invited people over on Sunday nights, uh, people that don't normally come to church, but we were still friends with and wouldn't come to church. And we did that for a solid year every, every Sunday night. And um, vulnerability that was, that was there when people come to your porch, it's pretty easy to invite someone over and just say, hey, bring your own meat, we'll grill it. We'll just be. Uh, we won't force any type of Bible study down your throat." So I'm actually going to try to relearn how to represent Christ without trying to do a Bible study. I feel like a lot of times that uh, we know how to talk about Jesus, and we are incredible with the knowledge thing, but what would happen if you weren't allowed to talk about Jesus? Could you still represent him? As you, from, from your life, could people still be able to see, yes, this person, something's different about them, and I feel like we've just kind of gotten off course, off course a little bit with um, the knowledge thing and our apologetics and defending our faith and all this type of stuff, um, while at the same time, we kind of need to do this hippie idea of love people, and uh, the crazy thing is um, that was the centrality of, of Jesus' ministry, amen? Amen. And so um, porch culture is really just this idea, of this context, post-World War II, just a little background, we as a society just started closing ourselves off. And uh, the, the porch represented that in the United States. just started getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And our garages started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And our privacy fences got more and more private. And our back patios and porches got huge. And we just physically closed ourselves off from each other and society, period. You pull in your garage, close the door, you don't see anybody. And so we're actually trying to start two things. One is is it, a not-for-profit where we're trying to build porches for people. I know this sounds crazy. I think it's crazy, too. Um, where we try to build porches for people who don't have them. And, uh, and then also tree houses for kids. And the whole premise of this is, this is what I believe with my whole heart, is that if we can help create and cultivate community, period, just for the sake of doing it. Listen, my motivation is to love people, whether or not they're going to believe in God or not whether or not they do believe in God or not. That is my motivation. It's not so that I can sell Jesus to them, and if they don't take the sale, then I'm on my way, which we've been doing that for a long time as a, as a church as a whole. And, and so I really do believe what Alex said is that, uh, not just here in Cleveland, but across the board, Jesus is trying to move in some amazing ways. And, and so this is kind of what we're doing with porch culture and then also the church side, which is gonna be completely wacky. Um, So we're doing these things called porch communities. And in these porch communities, um, it's not a Bible study or anything like that. The whole goal is just to invite people over that you know, maybe you work with or whatever, and you just be. And the insane thing is, is people share with us stuff on our porch that we can never get in a church setting or in um, in a Sunday school class. Or even, to be perfectly honest, even in small group settings. Because there's still like a little thing that we're trying to accomplish. The only thing we're trying to accomplish is bring people together and live in community. That's the only thing that we're trying to accomplish. And what I believe with my whole heart that I really didn't finish earlier is that if we can help create and cultivate community, that God, that the end result can only be Christ. Not that we do that so that Christ will be seen, but just do it and let God be in control and then it will happen and we want things so boxed up and tidy and neat and all this type of stuff. Um, when Jesus' ministry was so messy, I'm actually getting way ahead of myself and, and I really want to introduce my family. Um, sorry. Okay, so we'll come back to that for sure. Um, let, me, let, me, let me introduce my family as I was pring ing porch culture. Um, so here are my four kids. Uh, pregnant with number five. I laugh because we are insane. Um, Uh, The two, you you can go back to the big one. Um, The two, the little dude in in the middle, the green hoodie, and then uh, Hello Kitty Girl. Adeline and Anderson, they're twins. They're three and a half. My little man is down front. Um, Yeah, look at that, bud. You getting applaud. And then Campbell, and then Henley, and uh, and then the next one, uh, we don't know the name, of our boy, our tiebreaker. Okay, so let me talk about Adeline for a quick second. I'm going to move through them. Adeline is, is incredible. Uh, you don't know this, but she is the boss of you. Um, and uh, so I'm totally floored on what, how God's going to use you know, that president of the United States or, <laughs> or the universe. And so she is, she's awesome, though. Um, she always wants to take care of her little b- baby brother, Henley, and, and do all that type of stuff. Uh, she got the worst side of stubbornness for me and my wife. My wife and I are two of the most stubborn people. Yes, we are. And, um, and she got both of that from, from both of us. And so we're, we're working through that. Any advice would be helpful. And then uh, and let me move on to um, Anderson, my little man. And uh, he has the biggest, the biggest heart. If I start crying a little bit, this is because my heart is very sensitive um, with my family. Um, so I get a little emotional. Um, my baby boy here is, is awesome. Um, he has a big, big heart. Um, his dad lacks compassion and mercy, so he got that side from his mom, and, hey, I'm working on it, people. And, um, and so, he is just, uh, most of the time, we can ask him to do anything, and he'll do it. Okay. You know, just this cool little kid that everybody wants to be around, and, um, just this awesome little personality who knows, you know, I always wonder, you know, hopefully I'm not damaging too much his childhood and his psyche in some weird form that you don't know until years later, um, that, that God can just do incredible, incredible things with him. Uh, Campbell is, uh, my little cuddle bug, uh, she's our little emo kid, um, in all of her pictures, she looks like that, it's like she's contemplating, like, the, the universe and how it's put together and, and all this stuff. And then out of nowhere, um, I was sitting at one of our porch nights the other night, and uh, she ran up to me and um, put her hands, climbed up my lap, put, put her hands on my cheeks, said, kiss, and then squished my face, gave me a big fat kiss, and ran away. And, you know, that, that makes me good to go for at least a month. And so um, she, is, she is awesome. Um, and uh, she tends to be a little bit stubborn, too, as well. Um, And then uh, the next little guy, i got to move fast, Henley is 10 months old. Uh, Campbell was two and a half, Uh, Henley's 10 months old, and he is, well, we don't know what he is quite yet. Um, He's been one of our happiest. I've been able to roughhouse with him since he was a little kid, like roll him, like a roly-poly type thing, and and he loves it, and none of the other kids did, and it's, you know, don't report me, but you got to find out one way or another. Um... And so, who knows, you know, he's the baby of four right now, and I'm, I'm the baby of four. So I kind of get that. We're really needy and whiny, and I married an oldest, which is the way it should be. Uh, so that's Henley, and then uh, our new little guy, and that's this is our family, awesome family. And then my amazing wife met in college, uh, freshman year. She was a senior, I like to point that out. <laughs> and we, uh, uh, three months later, were then engaged. We met in choir. And then 11 months later, so we had 11 months engagement, Uh, we were married because she's obsessed with Christmas and wanted a Christmas wedding. Uh, So side note to that even, our kids, our twins have fallen asleep to a Christmas playlist ever since they've been born. No joke. Isn't that that creepy and weird a little bit? (laughs) So when Christmas rolls around, we're like, yeah, whatever. Um, So that is our amazing, amazing, awesome family um, that we love to death. So let me kind of uh, set the stage here and kind of open our eyes to what I was kind of diving into anyways with a few little stats. Um, you can go to the next slide. That talk about uh, what has actually been going on in the United States and um, some of the things. And, and the really, really the reason why I share my kids with you is because that is, is the core motivation for why we are doing what we're doing. Because I want my kids' kids to have a place. And I want my kids to be leaders and see that mom and dad weren't just willing to talk about it. They were willing to up and move and leave and do something that doesn't make logical sense. And, um, and so we need that. We need, I want to be that for my kids, you know. And I know a lot of you do too as well. Um, and even if this flops and fails, whatever failure is, um, then at least they know. You know, mom and dad were willing to move. Um, so with that, here's just some of the stats. So, around 4,000 churches close down a year. Four to 4,500 churches close down a year. Um, with only around uh, what has been up until like basically this year. Uh, with only around 2,500 new churches starting. So, we have a huge deficit right there every year. And then so, in order to uh, compensate for that deficit and then also for the population growth that we keep increasing by, um, in order to stay the same, we would have to plant close to 6,000, uh, 6, if not 6,500 churches a year that average 200 people each just to stay the same in the United States. How many of you knew that it was that bad? Okay, that's the one time that you don't want to see hands, so that was good. Um, yeah, it's, it's very eye-opening. They're saying that we're on the verge of getting ready to almost plant as many as are as closing down, but that's still yet to be seen Um, And it's tough to gauge because so many are in these small, different expressions and and type of things. So 60% of Christians uh, do not even believe that that Satan is real. That floors me. Uh, I'll question whether or not you're a Christian if you believe that or not. and according to the latest poll uh, released by the US Census Bureau and its American Religious Identification Survey, the number of self proclaimed atheists in America has nearly doubled since 2001, from 900,000 to over 1.6 million. And in a nation that once prided itself on Judeo Christian heritage, one out of every five Americans now claim no religious identity whatsoever. 85% of people in I like this one, 85% of people in America. Uh, claim to go to church once a month. The percentage of people who actually do go to church once a month, between 18 to 20%. percent we got a lot of liars going on, don't we? So curse you if you lied to someone calling you on a poll about that. Um, so Christians are projected to grow by 10 million from 1990 to 2050. Awesome, cool, great, right? Uh, but the downfall is that the population will increase by 270 million. So, just what I'm saying is just because we have a few victories doesn't mean that we're doing it right. And we kind of need to open our eyes and, and lower our pride. And I, I hope you guys realize that you just got to sing a song about humility. And I want to be like you, Jesus, to have this heart in me. Like, that's. I had to stop and think about if I wanted to sing that right, right then, because that's pretty heavy, right? And then also, last, uh, in the past five years, over, over 10,000 churches have just disappeared. And uh, wouldn't it be crazy if I just did invitation time right now and we just like ended? I mean, you'd be super depressed, right? That'd be awful. So uh, obviously I'm not. Um, but, but that's kind of just opening our eyes. And again, I don't want to be dep- depressing or anything. Um, but that's kind of what I'm talking about, very, very quickly, because I tend to go really, really long because I don't stick to my notes at all ever. Um, is that this idea of Jesus' mission? Uh, we got to give stuff titles, right? So we can put footing on it and figure stuff out. So kind of a thing going around is Jesus' mission. It's this idea of being missional, and so you have kind of have these two phrases or these two words. You have missional churches and attractional churches, and then somebody released a book uh, this year, and there was also a conference called "And." <laughs> it's genius. So it's missional and attractional. Um, so what our churches have been all along have been primarily attractional churches. Come to our church type idea. And this missional idea, people normally characterize that as like house churches type, type thing. Um, but that's not really missional either. It's the same thing, just in a different place in a smaller setting. Um, so it, that's kind of what I want to unpack a little bit this morning is what is this whole missional thing? How do we even define church? Like what is church? Um, and so, with that, um, can you do a little activity with me? Can you interlock your fingers like this? Okay. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Look at that. We just defined church. Right? Wrong. Yay. Yay. I didn't pay that person. Um <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I mean, look, look how we've been defining church. You know what I'm saying? Even though it's like a little kid thing and a little idea. But really, that's how we've been doing it. Can you, can you point anywhere in Scripture that tells me that that's what church is? Like, I want to teach correct theology to my kids. My oldest ones are three and a half. How on earth do you do that? And of course, with all kids, it's not how you explain stuff. It's always what you, what you show them, what you do exactly. And so even with a little bit of verbiage change, I'm like, all right, we're going to the, the church buu- building today. And it feels awkward, you know, but I'm trying to convey to them that the church is, is us. It is community, right? Um, so that's really, really what I want to talk about today is, uh, is the church was a, was a time for believers to gather together to celebrate what God had been doing. It was never the main focus As in describing a Christian or characterizing who they are. Oh, this is my church. This is what where I go. The fact that we can compartmentalize um, our aspects of our lives, where we got our work and we got our you know kids stuff, and we got our play, and then we got church, and we got wait, we got church. That we should never be able to say that. Like that should be an all-encompassing thing across across our lives. Period you get what I'm saying with that? Like, it was never meant to be, and please call me out on Scripture, but I'm using Scripture as my basis here, as the foundation for what we're doing next, and I cannot see how you can say that according to the Word of God. That it's supposed to be this thing that we go do. No, it's supposed to be who we are. And in light of that, what we're doing and how God's using us. Um... So it was never the main focus to do that. Uh, the main focus always was community. And I think we overlook the power of, uh, of simple. That just because something is simple, that it's not important. Like, oh, in order for this to be important, it's got to be complicated. It's got to be more than just community. You know, it's got to be this uh, elaborate system and structure and, and all this type of stuff. And... um That uh, is awful. That doesn't make any sense to me. Scripture is for everybody, right? It's not just for the intellect or the elitist. It is for everybody. And I think we tend to complicate things. We tend to exegete the crud out of Scripture to pull out what we think it means all the time um, rather than like seeing Scripture and then it making me do something. Not... Here it is, let's all sit down and talk about what we think it means. Like if, if we do that without doing, then guys, we're not we're not doing it. w I, I don't would I would think and I would I want to say that we don't have the title Christian. It's a full package deal. Like they, they go hand in hand. And what you have actually agreed to do is that you when you become a Christian, I'm talking to Christians here, when you become a Christian, you've agreed to die to yourself. That's what the Word of God says. You have you've put off the old and you've put on the new, you have died to self, you are no longer yours." Does your life represent that? I want to read uh, Matthew 9:10 through13. This is our main passage for porch culture and what we're doing. Sorry, that wasn't another PR plug. Um, but Matthew 9:10 through13 says, "While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw that He was eating with them, He asked His disciples and said, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so, I think kind of what we've gotten away from, and uh, I almost want to just stay on this passage for forever, because we can um, who is Jesus sitting with? And who is he eating with? Okay. Then let's pair that with, who is he yelling at? The Pharisees, the Christians. If you, if you look throughout the New Testament, when Jesus is normally yelling at someone, it's normally the Pharisees, the Christians. Okay? I'm not saying that gives us entitlement to just <laughs> yell all the time at each other or anything like that. Um, maybe it does. I don't know. We're working through that, right? Um, but Jesus is, is scolding them, saying, Listen, you've got this all messed up. That, that doesn't even make any sense. Um, and so he's eating with them, and it's messy. The whole point is that it's supposed to be messy. And if it's not messy, we want everything organized. And we want everything tidy and neat and boxed up. And, and we have too many boxes in the church. Way too many boxes, to the point that God can't be in control. If I have everything figured out with what I'm doing within planning churches... God's not in control. If I have it all spelled out with a plan, we think that we're preparing, but I think we're doing ourselves an injustice. I don't think that we're doing it right. I think we're cutting God out of the equation. Boxes, bad. Messy, good. Sorry, I have little kids. So as we look at Matthew 9, 10 through 13, it represents Christ's example of what church should be. It should be messy with a little bit of organization. Uh, I'm OCD with organizations. So that's really tough for me to say. All my books have to be in height order. Everything has to be in its place before I can sit down and like, read a book and rest. I'm, I got some issues, people. Um, my wife's incredible. Puts up with it all. So it, it's not supposed to be the structure idea on steroids, you know? Because what that tends to do is when things get messy, what do we want to do? You can answer. It's okay. When things get messy, what do we want to do with them? We want to we organize it, right? We want to put it in a box, nice and neat on a shelf or something. Um, and so then my question in light of that is who's really in control? If you want to do that, who's really in control? Who's in control when it's messy? I believe it's supposed to be messy in order for God to be the head. That God is in control. And what happens... Uh, when he's not, you know, frightens me. And I think we've been doing that. I think that's what he's trying to do for churches now and all of us, the different way we express church. And we tend to blame our own circumstances instead of accepting responsibility that what we're doing isn't working. And so, um, in that passage of Matthew 9, 10 through 13, it talks about, um, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And uh, that's huge. That's one of our core values of what we're doing is, is this life of mercy. And in light of that, like this is what I think Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. Okay, If you're characterizing your, your Christian life by, what, by your sacrifices that you're doing, you, you go to church, you clock in, you clock out. You do a community service project, you clock in, you clock out. You um, you know do that study, you clock in, you clock out. Like if, if we have these little segments like this, and then we're calling that our Christian life, that is completely separate from everything else that we are doing in life. That doesn't make any sense according to scripture. And so, what I think he's saying here, what I believe and know that he's saying is that I don't desire sacrifice. What I do desire is a life of mercy instead. That when we use this verbiage of we need to love the community, we need to serve the community, I think think our intentions are right, but I think we're getting it messed up because like, why are we using verbiage as though we are outside the community all the time? Why are we always outside it? And then we use that passage that, we, that I just got done reading, that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And we all assume not only that we're outside it, but that we're also the healthy ones. We are not the healthy ones, people. I've been in church work for a little while to realize that we're all messed up as much as anybody else. And he's, telling, he's, t- he's saying this to the Christians, though, that it's the sick. All of us are the sick that need the same doctor. All of us are sheep that need the same shepherd. And so uh, I believe what God is trying to call us to is we're on the, the, the verge of something great is that as, as a church holistically is that you don't love and serve the community. Don't characterize your life by service projects and all that stuff and soup kitchens. Um, don't get me wrong. I think acts of kindness are good and, and great and it should do that but not if you're defining your Christian life by them. If God is calling us to be the community and you living a life of mercy. Which means then you will naturally serve and you will naturally love them. Amen? Does that make sense? And so, um, our intentions and our motivations, I think, can kind of get messed up sometimes. Um, but when you, you are ready to learn when you are out of your comfort zone. Because you don't know where you're at and what's going on. And so, because of that, it forces us to be innovative um, which is what is needed for the church today. It forces us to relearn what we feel like we've known for so long, and I can testify to that right now. Every, every day I'm in this bed, in this bedroom, and I'm like, where are we and what are we doing? And it really forces you. I was raised in the church. My dad was an elder. Mom's still a church secretary. And it forces me to relearn all that stuff that I, that I learned growing up. Like, what's going on? I've been doing that in ministry too as well, but I think that's gotten to too corporate and not relational enough. I mean, that's just where my heart is. Um, so anyways, let me, let me um, define what the church is. Slide 19, guys. Um, church, and I'm borrowing this from, a, from an author and speaker, Neil Cole, amazing, amazing guy. Um, he says the church is the presence of Jesus among his people called out as a spiritual family to pursue his mission on this planet. Does that say anything about a church building or that you're supposed to do it a certain way, or does that talk more about motivations right so we can we can still have that, and then the church can look fifty billion different ways right according to this definition of what the church is um, so so in light of that definition, I feel like this whole uh, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I command you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, idea that we've been drilled with since, since day one is awesome. And that's been the cry of the church for so long. But I think, just like any good thing, I think we've gone too far to an extreme where we've tried to mass-produce Christians in a certain way that in the end, we're going to have a lot of people who are Christians that are going to hell. I think that's just the reality of it. And that's, I think that's scary and that's frightening. And, and, and hopefully, I'm just, I just want you guys to see this perspective. I hope you don't think I'm trying to throw it on you and you have to do this or anything like that. I'm, I'm a guest. And again, thank you so much um, for allowing me to be here. Um, but but that, that idea of the Matthew 28, we have to have that. We have to go and make disciples. We have to teach. We have to baptize. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like Matthew 22... Which is, what are the two greatest commandments? Love God and love one another, right? Is what it says. I feel like we've been doing the love God thing very, very well. And we've been doing the Matthew 28 thing. But we've forgotten to love people. That if I realize that my sail's not getting across, we use this fun saying in in church circles that says, um, then we kick the dust off our sandals and move on. That is the most anti-relational thing I've ever seen. The reason why I keep saying this word relational, and um, I know it can can come off in a bad way, um, that was Jesus' ministry, period. Every example that we see throughout Scripture of Jesus doing anything was relationships. I mean, he dedicated himself to a small group of guys, not to a megachurch. He thought, he knew, that if I do this to these few guys then it will be exponential. It'll be huge. Not uh, in church circles, we've just been building these walls to protect ourselves from society for so long that what we've actually done is built walls that keep people out. And I think that's damaging us now. And so through Christ's example, man, and, and that whole Matthew 28, don't get me wrong, if we're loving God and we're loving people, then we have to make disciples. That'll be a byproduct. It has to be. But you cannot love God and love people and make disciples. Like, you can't not do that. You have to do that, right? And so, um, these are these are convictions and at the core of what we're doing. Um, so that was kind of the, the whole discussion on what the church is. And then really quick, uh, what I believe our part, in light of all this is, is that we need to live in community and that's our responsibility with one another. I'm not talking about just, just Bible study get-togethers. I'm talking about you know these people inside and out. You know what they're struggling with at work and what they're going through. And, uh, and you get together because it inconveniences you. In order for there to be a relationship, I didn't have this equation um, up there. Um, I don't even know where I have it in my notes. Um, but in order for there to be a r- relationship, there has to be vulnerability and there has to be some form of sacrifice and what I call inconvenience. Does that make sense? community cannot happen without vulnerability. A relationship can't happen unless you're vulnerable with someone. And then also the other side to that, like, you're never gonna, no, I don't feel like going overnight, because it's, nah, I just don't feel like it. Or, if we really don't want to have people over, it'll make our house messy. Like, look at the things that we define by not letting people over. Isn't that kind of silly? And we're saying, no, that community thing isn't too important. But this is our responsibility. We're supposed to um, have community and live in with and light live life with each other. And we've used this passage in Hebrews 10:25 of uh, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day, the day approaching. And we've been using that to justify getting together on Sunday morning church services. I'm saying it, it doesn't mean that. I'm saying it means don't give up sharing your lives together with each other, having a porch night, sitting down. And again, we overlook the power of simplicity. In those moments, we saw more life trans- transformation happen on our porch in one year than I have all years of ministry. I mean, there's power in that. Let, let Christ be in control and use that. Um, and this process of sanctification that we're on as Christians cannot happen outside of community. We were designed to be in community. You guys agree with that? That God created us to be in, in community with one another. I am uh, extremely introverted. Like I hate being on stage. And so, like, when I'm around a lot of people, I want to escape and run off. That doesn't mean I get to. No, that's... <laughs> I fight against that and be around people. Not because... Not, well, yeah, because God designed me for it. And I know that in the long run, it's going to do more damage to me and my kids and my family. And so that is a, that's a big part of, of what we need to be doing. In John 15, it's going to be on the screen, but I'm not going to read it. I'm going to quickly paraphrase. Um, so y'all do fall asleep in these comfy chairs, um, which are awesome. Um, first time I've been in this place before. And so, um, so John 15 talks about, you know, the whole vine and the branches deal. You guys are a little bit familiar with this, right? That um, he is the vine and we are the branches. His banner over me. Yeah, you guys familiar with this, you know, churchy songs? No? Okay, good. Um, so, so with that, I, do we not realize the, like, how huge that is? Like, okay, so what John 15 is actually saying, if you are a branch and you are connected to the vine, who is Christ, who is God, then you have a divine DNA flowing within you. I hold the belief that we should ordain everybody. First Peter 2 kind of marks this out as calling it the priesthood of all believers, that within each and every single one of you and all your doubts and you can't do nothing and you're not good enough and all that stuff, I, I, I think you have as much potential as anybody else because of the power of Christ. And so because of that, if you're connected to the vine, man, you have life, you grow, you have that divine supernatural DNA flowing within you. So your little circumstances that you think get in the way from allowing you to do stuff for God's kingdom should not matter. Put one foot in front of the other. Don't think about, well, what happens if I put my foot in front of there? Will this happen? Will this Wait, will this do this? And then we just like do the logical thing and push God out of it, and we never move. So we need to take that step and be like, all right, God, I'm thinking about putting my foot there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do it. You know, I might fall off the stage, but, um, you know, and we do that. We move. And so um, that John 15 passage of that we are part of the vine, and it actually says that in that passage to you, whatever you ask for, it will be given to you. And I've grown up in the church and I know how to put that in one ear and out the other whenever I hear it. But I don't think we're really tapping into that. That if you're part of the vine, supernatural, divine DNA flowing in you, whatever you ask for will be given to you. And I think that has more to do with our motivations for what we're asking for. But man, if it involves God's kingdom and doing some crazy fun stuff for him, I think he's going to give it to you. I know he will. That's the part of being part of the vine. It also says if you're part of the a part apart from the vine, what happens to you as a branch? You die. Yeah, I'd rather be part of the vine. And and so that 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 whole analogy kind of shed light to me um, for the first time in, in that way. Um, so being part of the vine means that we change and that we grow because of, of what the vine gives. And I've heard this saying before. Um, I think Tim Harlow, a Christian church guy out in Illinois, said that the biggest thing to prevent the current move of God is the last move of God. The biggest thing to prevent the current move of God is the last move of God. And so what that's saying, real quick, so people aren't totally upset, is that God moved in this way. In the last way, He moved. He did amazing things. How you came to Christ, how I came to Christ through my youth group and all that that stuff, like the way church was done, like God used that. He wanted it done that way. But if we refuse to transform as the nature of being with Christ and being on that vine, you're going to grow, you're going to change. If we refuse to, to, to change from that model, then we're sinning, folks. That's not the nature of being with Christ. The nature of being with Christ is that we always are changing, that we're always growing. Who are we to say, God, you have to work in this box that you created a while ago? And church has to look this way. I'm talking about the man-made stuff. I'm not talking about biblical. I think that we could do church differently and still even be more biblical. And we just need to have the, the courage and the audacity to step, step into the unknown and figure out what that means and let God lead it. And it's frightening and it's freaky. I grew up in the Christian church and to be moved by the Spirit and to do that type of language like freaks me out. Like what? I, I don't... The little voice in my head. I don't know whose it is. It's always in my... Sounds like mine all the time. I don't know if you guys got different modes happening in your mind. If you do, you might need to talk to someone, but it's always it's always my voice that I hear, and so it's tough to discern, okay, is that, uh, is that dumb Steve, or is that the Spirit, or is that, you know what, I'm just going to do it anyways, and we'll figure it out, because I want to be in tune with the Spirit. So bad, because I think that's how um, we do things. I think that's how we be effective for people that we don't know how to be effective for. It's because Christ knows how to, to impact them. Christ knows how to reach them. We don't. So we got to let him use us to do it. Even if it is different. So the hope for the church is to learn how to activate God's people is what I wholeheartedly believe. Um, and we in our American consumeristic mentality is bigger is better, more is better, all that stuff. I'm saying less is more, simple is better. is kind of the premise of what we're kind of doing next. But... I mean, my goal is to have three or four churches within our first year, churches. So we have our porch communities, and byproduct of that would be our gathering for our leaders. So if you're a Christian in porch culture, you're a leader. And so I'm hoping to have three or four of those all throughout Cleveland within our first year, and then hopefully we'll double that within our second year and all that fun stuff and crazy, crazy madness stuff. But um, I think God, when you focus on small, exponential starts happening because then those people focus on small and those people focus on small, and then all of a sudden you maybe just had one person before, but now you've got a lot more than that. And so we don't think it's that big or that, that it's that much. Let me talk about fear real quick. Oh, i got to end. Maybe I won't talk about fear. Um, one of our biggest barriers is fear, but we need to let God control it. Um, can you go to, I don't know what slide it is, the Indiana Jones slide. Yeah, that one. You can't see it too well. He was, uh, ooh, thank you. Move lighting. Yeah, you can keep it there. Um, so do you remember that scene in The Last Crusade when he like grabs his heart? And he just closes his eyes and steps out. And all of a sudden, he hits something. Like That's the type of faith we need to have. Not logically figure it out before you step out. You need to step out. And then you're going to realize, Oh, God had something for me all along. It just blended in with the rest of the cliff. And then you be the pioneer. You be the one that is being led by God and throw some dirt on it to show the way for others. So that, that analogy, that idea, has been in my mind for so, so long um, we need to be apostolic. we need to send people. I want to go to slide thirty one guys and I think it 's crazy how flowers sometimes can can grow amidst a jungle of concrete like this has something so beautiful can still have growth and not just have growth but be gorgeous, you know. Every one of us, God is calling us to be that. He's saying, send people out, do, go, be uncomfortable. If you want to win, here's a quote. Um, if you want to win this world to Christ, you're going to have to sit in a smoking section, is what I heard someone say one time. In other words, you're going to have to be uncomfortable. If you want to implement change... God change, God dreams, God-sized dreams, then you're going to have to be uncomfortable. Uh, me and my family, uh, so soon to be family of seven, up and left, uh, we still we have to raise 100% support and we're nowhere near it and all that fun stuff, but I'm not going to be guided by that. I can't be. Um, we needed uh, to pay taxes on our van the other day and all of a sudden I got a random check in the mail that was the exact same amount. He takes care of you. You don't wait to see if you're going to get the random check. You know what I mean? Like you just you keep going and he'll give and he will provide. It's it's amazing and we're so surprised when he does. How bad is that? Like he's God. And so um I we're called to this. Do you guys understand that? Like we're called to be that one that grows amidst that. Cleveland, 92% of Cleveland is lost or unchurched out of close to 3 million people. It's one of the most lost cities in the nation. Second highest divorce rating. Some of the highest depressive medication sales. Like we're lonely people. And some, most of you, I'm willing to bet, are lonely here today too as well. I've been there. We've been there. And the only thing that can remedy loneliness, which is one of the... It's, it's huge and it's only getting worse. Depression and loneliness is only getting worse in our nation because we keep closing ourselves off the only way to remedy that is community. Amen? People, if you're lonely, get together with other people. If you don't agree with some of their beliefs, get over it. They don't have to believe what you believe. It's okay. Because that's what Christ calls us to do. He says love each other, regardless of if you're Democrat or Republican or Independent. Love one another. Period for the sake of doing it. I showed you that. Do it. It's just a scary, guys. To think that that this offends some of you. When this is the mission of Christ, this is the Jesus mission. Is its missional is not this idea of this new way to do church. It's something he's called all of us to do that we have not been doing. He calls every Christian to be missional. Period. And if you've got all the doubts in the world, join the club, but still go out and do it. You know, I had somebody, uh, I, had, I had that voice pop in my head the other day at a coffee shop. I'm like, oh, crap. I've got to get up and socially awkwardly go talk to this person now. We're good friends now. They're even helping support us. I mean, just crazy stuff happens out of this stuff. You don't know what you're going to say. Maybe he'll give you the words. What about that idea of faith? So in closing, I want to use this Matthew ten sixteen passage where he says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And so I have two quick questions as we close. Why is he sending us out as sheep? And why not like some crazy cool beast master or something, you know, to get the job done? Um, I believe he's sending us out as sheep so that we know that we have to rely upon the shepherd. We can't do it without the shepherd. We have to rely upon the shepherd to guide us, to protect us, and we're just these innocent, dumb little sheep doing what he's made us to do, and that is being community with one another and to love one another. And if you truly are living your relationship with Christ, people will come to know him. You don't do it so that they can. You just do it. That's what the word of God says. It never says, so that. You love people. Second question. Why the crowd is he sending us out to wolves? That's a little freaky. Um, kind of get the little red riding hood idea in your head. But, <sighs> wolves know how to find lost sheep better than we do. Right? They're designed for it. So if you want to find lost sheep, where do you go? You go to the wolves, right? Because they're going to find them every time. And so that picture of that flower in the concrete, that's what we're supposed to do. And people think, oh, that sounds so depressing, and it sounds so tough, and blah, 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 blah. But we're having the time of our lives, and we are in the worst spot we've ever been (laughs) financially. Um, all this other stuff. But what we mainly came here for was relationships and to lean on God and not talk about it but do it for once in our lives. And it is insane the amount of joy that we are actually having. We can't believe it. I question it. I actually try to sabotage my own joy most of the time. Like it doesn't make sense to me. And so Christ is sending us out as sheep among wolves people. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you have to defend your faith. That doesn't mean you have to do all the apologetics and the more you know, the more you know, the more you know. That means you just, man, who are you? I want to get to know you. If I can help out in any way, just let me know. And the fact that people are creeped out by you helping them is sad. That means we're not doing it at all. So in conclusion, the Jesus mission, we need to stop defining within the walls. And we need to start living missional lives in every example, as in every example as Christ laid out for us. Please pray with me.